So I'm uh, Tim Barker. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, excited to have the opportunity to continue our series of Nehemiah together. So if you think about what we're about to embark in together here, this is the moment in our week when we sort of stop from all of our, our doing, our acting, and we come together and ensure that we listen to what God says in his word. So we have a, a way of sort of coming to this time of the word and hopefully doing a, a decent job of explaining it, understanding what's happening in the passage, as we, we talked about even last week, that being the purpose of this. And as we do that, this has a way of sort of centering or moving us forward as a people of God for this week and the days ahead and what we aim for. So I'm going to ask that God does that work in our time together and ask that you be engaged and active in the listening and learning of what God has for us this morning. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would meet with us today. God, we know there are so many other things in our minds, so many things that have drawn our attention, things that bring us... uh, worry, things that bring us concern. God, as we think on all these things, we pray that you would hold us to your word today, that you would uncover meaning and truth for us in the passage we look at today. And that as we look at that, God, that you would cause us to understand, that we would be caused to believe the words as true, and that we would live differently because of what we find in your word today. Amen. So words tend to have strong effect on us, right? When you think about various uh, words floating in culture, sometimes we think about quotations. I don't know if anyone's a big, like, quote head. You find those quotes, maybe it's JFK or Winston Churchill, for some reason, still gets a lot of play in the quote world. And as you hear those words, you read it, you think on it, um, maybe you have quotes around on some of your uh, belongings, uh, maybe pillows are usually a good place to put them, coffee mugs are a great one. These words tend to stand out to us, right? We hear specific words, we think of them, they create thoughts, maybe help us to think differently about our lives. We think differently about situations that we face. When I think about uh, words in our day, right, sometimes you're reading along in a book, you're reading a whole book, right, there's like 200 pages in this or something, right? And then it sometimes comes down to just one sentence that you read. I don't know if you've done that. I read like a 200-page book, and I'm sometimes like, that whole sentence, that one sentence on page 75 was exactly the one that mattered in this whole book. You read it, and what do we do? We kind of like underline it. Maybe you double underline it. Maybe you pull out your old school highlighter. Maybe you star it. Maybe you jot it down in a journal, because the word meant so much to you. You think that really reframes how I think about things. Now, maybe you're not a crazy avid reader. Maybe you don't like to mark in your books. You're a purist. That's Okay. As you think about words in our society and where they take place, oftentimes it could be in Twitter, right? You know when somebody really, really agrees with somebody's tweet? When they give it the like and the retweet on top of the like, you know that they're really behind the words that someone had said. Or that weird thing on Facebook, I don't even know what that is, but like that words in like a little colored square, I don't even know what we're going with with that or what it's called, but there's usually words that we're pushing out to people because they're that meaningful and significant to us. So when we think about words to live by, all these great quotations, these words that maybe have meaning to us, they oftentimes, and I'd say probably by and large the majority of the time, they don't actually tell us how to live. They don't actually spell out for us what we're supposed to do and not do. They don't tell us how we frame and organize our life, how to make sense of things that seemingly don't make sense. And yet we're so drawn to these words from society and culture that we look at and quotes and books and things that maybe of others have told us. But what I want to talk about today from this text in Nehemiah is actually finding words to live our life by. 
And we're going to talk about that as the scripture, the, the, re, the teaching of God's word. And as we look at that, we understand that actually these words are not meant to just be great quotations on a pillow, something on a coffee mug, maybe put up in a journal somewhere. They actually are meant to change and dictate the way that we live from day to day. And what I'm going to propose today as we look into uh, this text further is the main idea of our, our time together is to understand that really the Bible's intention and the way we approach it is to move from understanding the word of God to actually believe and live it in our time and place. So if you go to the next slide, I think it has those words on it, that we move from understanding the word of God to believe and live it in our time and place. So the word of God, the Bible, should be understood. That's what we talked about last week, that there's work to be done to understand it, and then it's to be lived. It's the natural and intended consequence of the word of God to bring out actually a different way we live. So that's why the Bible is written. It's not written just for words, not something to merely kind of tickle our imagination and our minds to understand an ancient book. It's meant to change the way we live. It's meant to reorient, reconstruct, and give us a new line of way of thinking about it. So we're going to look at how that played out in the life and times of Nehemiah. And from this, we're going to just do a really straightforward approach here. We're going to basically tell you the story, and then we're going to walk through what are the principles we gain from it. So you shouldn't get lost. We're going to try to understand the story first off, and then what can we learn from that in principles. So let's start off by working through part of our text of the story. So we have verse 13 and 14 up there in front of you on the screen. As we look into this in verse 13, and we just read these at the start, we see that what has happened from last week's sermon to today is 24 hours has passed. Okay, This is the second day the day that followed after that text that we looked at last week. And on the second day, we are seeing what happens. The people are gathered to hear and understand the word of God. You may remember that. And the word was read to them. Nehemiah's work was about not just reforming the city, but now he turns to really reform the people and think about how they will do life together. So last week, he gathered together all the men, all the women, everyone who could even understand what was being read, gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. And now we're on day two. Day two, what do we see? We see that the fathers of the household, the priests, the Levites, and Ezra all came together to do further study. So this doesn't in any way negate the, the broad sharing of the word of God with everyone. What we see here is also a beautiful, consistent theme of the scriptures. We see responsibility. We see the leaders of these households. We see the priests. We see the leaders of that society taking extra effort to ensure that they're leading the people in an understanding of God's word. So they're spending further time to make sure that they have that. One of the interesting comments you have here is this idea of the fathers of the households. So this isn't just like the nuclear family like we think of, of dad and dad's doing this. That's true. But think about this. This is actually like the oldest father of the family taking responsibility for the spiritual lives of his family on an ongoing basis. So when you think about what he's doing, this father is saying, okay, I have children, sons, and daughters, and they have wives, and they have children, and all of them, I'm still thinking about their spiritual well-being. So they're putting themselves in a position to think about not just until they're 18, not just until they move away from college, but taking responsibility for the spiritual nurturing of a family for an ongoing generation. And that's what we see here in our text in front of us. So this group has gotten together, they're studying God's word, and they're, they're looking at that. These, these folks, as they spend time in it, we see some very interesting words in verse 14 when you see what happens, right? They come together, the priests and Levites, the scribes, they're studying the words of God. Then in verse 14, and they found it written in the law. 
So let's stop there. The idea is that they're reading along, they're spending this effort on it, and they actually find something. There's a discovery. There's something that they didn't expect to be present in the text, but as they read it and they understand it and they did that work, they found there was new meaning in this understanding. It actually says they found it. So I don't know if you've ever been reading through something and found something that was really, really interesting or important that you didn't expect, and it sort of changes how you went about things. I can think of a company I worked for a while ago. I was working there and had a, a really interesting situation. We had acquired a new biotech company, and they had some interesting products that they were going to sell. Uh, these products were kind of a controlled substance, the kind that are kind of really dangerous if they're used in the wrong way, and so the government likes to keep track of like, where they all are in the country and in the world. Um, so it's those kind of products. We had a researcher in Canada who was doing brain research and really wanted to get their hands on this particular biotech product to do research. Under the current regulations that we had, we found it really difficult to get it up there. It seemed like there was really no way to get this product across the border following the appropriate laws so that appropriate research could happen by you know, competent people to do it. So I had the researchers calling me, asking me what they could do about making this order. I was talking to my boss, working with one of our lawyers, and basically everybody said, yep, I don't see any way we can get them up there. There's no way that can happen. I felt that kind of disappointment that came from the researcher not being able to get what they wanted, and they called like every few days, checking, you know, have you figured anything out? Is there any way we can, can deal with this? And so I decided I would just go back and read the government code on exporting. I don't know if any of you read government documents as a regular part of your job. My apologies if, if it is. It's, it's pretty dense reading. It's usually unenjoyable. There's, there's really no character development, anything like that happening in most of the, the government literature. And usually you have these, if you read like tax forms, you know where they refer to schedule this, item this, and you're sort of bouncing between different parts of documents to sort of make sense of a particular item. Well, I can remember the day where I was sitting at my desk at work and I was sort of reading line by line by line on this, trying to figure out if there's a way. And at one moment then, I finally have read through pages and pages and I said, I think I got it. I think there's, I think there's a way here. So I ended up uh, talking to my boss. I think there's a special exception that we can do. We have to do a little bit of a process. We have to write some new documents. But I think there's a way we can do this. Very excited. I couldn't believe it. Um, my boss says, call a lawyer. You know, that's what you do. So we call the lawyer leaving this awesome voicemail saying, hey, look, I've looked at this, look at this page, look what's going on, look at all this information. He calls me back, and I'll never forget his words. He says, okay, I think you're right. How in the world did you come up with this? And I was able to answer back, I just read the document. Like, I don't know what you do. This seems to be your expertise, but, like, I read the document. I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I found it. Like, it actually made a difference. So we're able to find a way that by just reading over and over a document, you're able to find new information, a new exception, a new way that you could build a new process that would meet the obligations and still do it. This was a small thing. I probably don't remember. I definitely don't remember the exception or what page or what government document. Any of that's all out of my mind. But I remembered very profoundly in that time, sometimes you've got to go to the source. Sometimes you should really just read the document yourself and find that in that reading, there could be something that you've overlooked, that everyone has overlooked, and that you've missed. And that's sort of what's described for us here in the time of Nehemiah. As they're reading this text again anew, the people of God gathered together, they find something. They find something that they didn't expect to be reading. It says that they've found it written in the law that God had commanded by Moses, the people of Israel, should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, very similar to government legal code, you might read that and go, that's not very compelling. Okay, what, what are we talking about? That's kind of a strange thing to have been asked. But they found this, and they're, they're really surprised that this is true. 
So let's talk a little bit about what they found. Uh, it says in the seventh month. So last week when we read the, uh, read the passage earlier in chapter 8 here of Nehemiah, you may remember in verse, uh, I think it was verse 2, uh, it talks about that this is the seventh month when this is happening. So what they're reading from the law of God is like about this particular month that they're living in. There's some detail about living in booths in the seventh month, seventh month of which they're living in. And they said, well, what does it say? Can you imagine you're opening up the word of God and you're finding something that you haven't read before and it says, hey, on this particular day, on January, whatever it is today, 25th maybe, 26th, there you go. So January 26th, do this. You'd be like, oh, okay, I guess I should pay attention to what I just read. That's what happened to the people of God here as they were reading this. They didn't recall this. They haven't had a great pedigree of teaching, lots of awareness. So as they read this in the seventh month, they said, okay, well, what does it say? So if we go to our next slide, we see in verse 15 that they should proclaim this, publish it, all the towns in Jerusalem, go out to the hills, bring in branches, all this various uh, horticultural kind of stuff, and basically they're going to have booths, make booths. So that's the command. So I got to give a little more context of what this is talking about because, again, we don't have a whole lot of context for what's happening with booths and why they're a big deal and even the word booths is a little weird. Um, but as we think about this, there was a feast that was declared by God from the time of Moses. Moses was told that we would have this feast at a certain time of the year, the seventh month, as we've talked about. And at this feast, we're remembering what God has done for us. We're remembering our lives as the children of Israel who've wandered in the wilderness, who found ourselves all throughout Sinai and had to live in like tents, very temporary shelters. You're supposed to do that every year in the seventh month. You're going to do it at this time of the year because this is like when the harvest happens. When there's a, a bringing into the crops, there's great enjoyment, you get the bounty of all that labor for the year. That's the time that I want you to have this celebration. And what you're going to do is you're going to gather up your stuff and you're going to go out in the fields and you're going to build these little shelters is, is literally what the, the word is here for booths. But um, that's the idea. And so that's why he's bringing together all these branches and stuff to bring them together. You build up this temporary booth and you stay out there for seven days. Now, on the one hand, this makes a lot of sense in agrarian culture, right? You, you're working all day, nonstop, from sunup to sundown, out in your field. Why go all the way back to your house? Go stay in the booth, out by your work, live your life, and then, you know, come back after the harvest is done. But the idea was that they would continue this, not just for that booth uh, agricultural time when they're doing that, but also just continuing this year after year and remembering what God had done for them. So he actually outlined this for them in the law. So if we go to the next slide, I think we have a Leviticus text that's up here, which is very wordy. I think it might be tricky to see all the way in the back. But uh, roughly in these words, we see that Moses had these words. So this is likely what they were reading before them. When they said they found it in the word of the Lord, they probably read this from your Older Testament, coming from Leviticus or from the next text that we're going to look at. So you see in this text in Leviticus 22, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you'll present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. It's a holiday. That's the whole idea. They're coming together, they're having a feast, and they're remembering what God's done. If we look at the next text in Deuteronomy, it gives us a similar explanation. You shall keep the feast of booths seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and from your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, the Levites, the sojourners, the fatherless, the widows, 
all that are within your towns. So you get this idea of just the whole community coming together to take part in this feast. And these people in the nation of Israel had forgotten about it. They hadn't been keeping this feast. So they read this, rediscovered what was present in the text together, and what are they going to do with it? They read something in the Bible they didn't expect, they didn't know God was telling them to do, and they read it. Where does this take them? What moves them from just discovery to actually living this out? So look at the next verse from Nehemiah chapter 8. So look at verse 16. What happens? So the people went out. They brought them and they made booths for themselves. So as maybe obscure or strange as a thing as this is, once the people of God read what God wanted from them, they did it. They immediately understood that this was not just a head knowledge thing, something that they had to just kind of debate around, write on a pillow somewhere. This was actionable words. They, as the people of God, were to immediately take action and do something about it. So verse 16 says, they went out, they made these booths for themselves, they made them on their roofs and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at these water gates and the gate of Ephraim and these other places. Now what we find interesting in the way that they're living this out is they did this in a way that was very committed to what God had asked for them to do, right? They saw what God asked and they did it. But they've also done this quite creatively. If you see kind of the the context of what they're doing, they're building these booths on their houses in the city itself. Why? They're located in Jerusalem. This is an urban culture. They don't have any fields set up. They just came back from Persia. There's no fields to run out to. There's none of these things there that was immediately prescribed in the law. So what we have here is an understanding of the actual teachings of the Scripture, and then we have a creative application to find a way to fulfill what God has asked of them in their context, in their place, and in their time. So we, we get that idea that you could read the law, we could see what God was asking of the people very clearly. He wanted them to celebrate this feast. He wanted them to have booths, to be remembering of their sojourning, their tents. But the actual way that this was played out looked a little different because of their place and their time. In no way should this be seen as disobedience. This is the nature of living a life of following God. Our place and our time is drastically different from what we read in the time, location, language, and culture of the Bible. But that doesn't remove us from that responsibility. That committedness to what God has teaches us and for the people of God for all time continues. But the application may have creative creativity similar to what we see here, a small tweak in what's happening in their time and place. So we're going to talk about that a little bit further. But as we go into that, it's very important to see their strong commitment. There's no sense of trying to get out of God's obligation on them. You don't hear any language of like, well, you know what, we've, we've had a difficult time, it's a rough year, maybe we can pick this up next year. No, they understood what God had asked for them and they went to do it immediately. Then just the way that that's fleshed out looks a little different in their time and place. Let's look at the next verses, round out the chapter and understand the story. We have it kind of showed to us that Not only are they creative in their commitment here to fulfilling this, but they're also joyful and and courageous in how they go about this. Verse 17 tells us that as they came together, it was all these people who had returned from the captivity that made the booths. And they lived in these booths from the days of, uh, for from the days of Yeshua, the son of Nun, to the day that the people of Israel had not done so, and there was very great rejoicing. So there's a few parts here. They understand themselves as people of the captivity. So this 
is a bit of shame. This is an unfortunate circumstance. The people of God who are doing this great feast, they knew that they didn't grow up in the right country. They didn't have the right training. They hadn't been, uh, you know, people who have received this and seen their fathers and their grandfathers practice this tradition in front of them. No, this was a new generation who knew that the people of God hadn't been fulfilling this correctly, but still wanted to take action. They knew that they had been under the judgment of God in captivity in Babylon and in Persia, and now they've come back, and what do they do? Do they make excuses? No, they find themselves anew as a people of God, putting their effort into fulfilling what God has commanded. And they're courageous about it. I mean, think about it. Not since the days of Yeshua, or we would typically re-vowel that as Joshua, is who we think of as Joshua, the son of Nun, is exactly who we have here. So not since the days of Joshua have we seen this fulfilled in the same way. So for generations, if there's ever an opportunity to make an excuse to not fulfill what God had done, you could say, look, my father didn't do it, my grandfather didn't, I didn't grow up this way, I'd never seen anybody do this right. But they took so seriously the word of God that as they read these words, they said, nope, I'm gonna do what God has asked of us. And so let's do that. Let's be a people who's doing what God has asked of them. And so they move forward with that. And with that action of obeying what God has said for them, there's great rejoicing that comes out from that. There's tons of emotion throughout this chapter 8 as is the reading of the word of God. But as they move forward in obedience, we see here the new emotion of rejoicing at what God has done. So that's our story. Hopefully puts in some context. We hear a little bit about this uh, feast of booths, Sukkoth, the tabernacles, all that information. The people of God hearing the word, responding to it. But now we kind of come to the question of saying, so what? How do I make sense of this in our time, in our place? So I want to make a couple comments on how we read the scriptures. So there's a little bit of where I'm hopefully demonstrating this, but I'm also talking about what I'm doing. So it's always a little bit of a strange way to talk through a sermon, right? Normally, we spend time explaining a passage, going through it, and then we turn to a point to say, now, what does this mean for you? That's what we're saying actually is the point of the Bible. So whether it's someone standing up here preaching to you as the pastor of the church, giving you that view, or gospel community leaders, or someone who's teaching you, or you reading on your own. It's the same labor, the same work that we go through. We read and work hard to understand what the Bible is saying, and then we turn to say, okay, how do I believe this? How do I put this into practice in my life? So two principles to pull out from this, we look at the next slide, is when we read God's word, we should expect to have God speak to us by his word and then respond. That's what we should be doing. So when we come to the text of scriptures, there should be an expectancy. The Bible is opened, God is speaking. I don't know what he's saying. I don't know necessarily yet what that's going to mean on me, but I should be opening the Bible expecting that God has something for me in this reading. There might be difficulties to work through, language variances, things to make sense of. It might just be hard. It might seem a little boring, but there's an understanding that God is speaking when his word is open. And then the intention is, is that as we understand what God has said, it should come out in living. There's always an opportunity for us to believe something differently about what God has said, something to act differently in our lives because of what he said. So when we come to the scripture, right, we have different expectations of life. Um, and so when we come to the scripture, this is what I said we're supposed to have. Think about other scenarios when you have expectations and it changes your outlook because that's really what I'm asking us to think about. So if you know that you're going to be called into your boss's office and be chewed out, in essence, there's a certain expectation you have for how that conversation is going to go, how you're going to respond, how you're going to receive that information. 
Maybe you're expecting this call from your, your wife, your husband, or a friend to relay some really good news, and you're just waiting, you're expecting to hear that. There's a certain way that you pick up the phone and you're ready to receive that call. What we're saying is, is there's a way that we're expectant as people of Seven Mile Road who are trusting in God and being committed to following his word. As we open the scriptures, we're committed to know God is speaking to us to change the way we think, the way that we live, and that's how we should open the word, that kind of expectancy. And then it follows through with action. We do something with it. And secondly, the other thing we can get is to live God's word out in our time and place with courage, commitment, and creativity. So if it's about living, the thing I want to emphasize the most is that it's about our time and our place. Being a church here north of Boston in this context, loving a people, being sent to a people that's here, means that we have to live out the gospel in a unique and contextualized way. And so we read the scriptures with an eye for that. We can't be reading the scriptures only as people who are separated, living in a bubble somewhere else. We have to read it as this is our generation, our place, and our time. What does that mean? That means that the obediences that we will find easy may be different than another generation. It means the sins, the idols that we face in our culture and our day are different and distinct than what we might hear. So as we read the scriptures, it's not that we need something else to help us understand that. It's that this word tells us how to stand against the idols and the cultural sins in our own day in a way that's unique and distinct. So that's going to take effort from us, right? It's not like we can always open up the scriptures and find exactly, this is how you handle uh, the internet or smartphones in your, in your family. This is how you should respond in a democratic republic nation and you vote. These are not things that are directly told to us line by line in the scriptures. So we approach it with wisdom and principles. Knowing that God is speaking to us in this text, we may find discoveries that there are different ways that God is calling us to live as committed followers of him in our place and our time. And so we come to it with a commitment, honestly, right? We are doing what God has said. We're not making up our own things here. We're not off to set ourselves up in, in a, a different kind of approach. Still doing what Christians, the people of God, have done throughout generations. We're putting ourselves under God's teaching, but we're creative in knowing that our problems, our sins, our place may be distinctly different that require us to seek God more and more to know how to live that out in front of us. So when we think about our time here at Seven Mile Road, our job is to, at times, improvise the scriptures to know how to live them out in front of people, right? There's not a tight script for us to follow. This is what you say on Tuesday morning when your boss has this view and you need to correct it. You don't do this when your neighbor says this to you across the lawn. You know, there's no set tight script for us to follow. We have to be constantly people of the word of God, pulling it in, understanding the wisdom of these scriptures, praying, seeking God, and then knowing that there is improvisation of how we live out our exact moment in the story. As we are part of God's people for all generation, it's our place and our time to live this in our distinct ways. So may we at Seven Mile Road find the words of God as those that we can live by, that actually describe for us the way that we can mark ourselves in this place and in this community. Let's pray.